Nehemiah chapter 9. Now on the 24th day of the month, the people of Israel were assembled with fasting and sackcloth and with earth on their heads. And the Israelites separated themselves from all foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and iniquities of their fathers. And they stood up in their place and read the book from the book of the law of the Lord, their God, for a quarter of, of the day. For another quarter of it, they made confession and worshipped the Lord their God. On the stairs of the Levites stood Jeshua, Bani, Kadmiel, Shebaniah, Bani, Shebabiah, Bani, and Chaniah. And they cried with a loud voice to the Lord their God. Then the Levites, Jeshua, Kadmiel, Bani, Hashabaniah, Sherebiah, Hodei, Sherebiah, and uh, and <laughs> and uh, said, Stand up and bless the Lord your God from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be your glorious name, which is exalted above all blessings and praise. You are the Lord, you alone. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their host the earth and all that is in it, the sea and all that is in them. And you preserve all of them, and the host of heaven worships you. You are the Lord, the God who chose Abram and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans and gave him the name Abraham. You found his heart faithful before you, and you made him with him a co the covenant to bring his offspring of the, the land of, Can of the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Perizzite, the Jebusite, and the Girgashite. And you have kept your promise, for you are righteous. And you saw the affliction of our fathers in Egypt, and heard their cry at the Red Sea, and performed signs and wonders against Pharaoh and all his servants, and all the people of the, his land. For you knew that they acted arrogantly against our fathers, and you made a name for yourself as it is to this day. And you divided the sea before them, so that they went through the midst of the sea on dry land, and you cast their pursuers into the depths as a stone into mighty waters. By a pillar of cloud you led them in their day, and by a pillar of fire in the night to light for them the way in which they should go. You came down on Mount Sinai and spoke with them from heaven, and gave them right rules and true laws, good statutes and commandments. And you made known to them your holy Sabbath and commanded them commandments and statutes and a law by Moses your servant. You gave them bread from heaven for their hunger and brought water for them out of the rock for their thirst. And you told them to go in to possess the land that you had sworn to given them. But they and our fathers acted presumptuously and stiffened their neck and did not obey your commandments. They refused to obey and were not mindful of the wonders that you performed among them. But they stiffened their neck and appointed a leader to return their slavery in Egypt. But you are a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love 
and did not forsake them. Even when they had made for themselves a golden calf and said, this is your God who brought you up out of Egypt and, has, and had committed great blasphemies. You, in your great mercies, did not forsake them in the wilderness. The pillar of cloud to lead them in the way did not depart from them by day, nor the pillar of fire by night to light for them the way by which they should go. You gave your good spirit to instruct them, and did not withhold your manna from their mouths, and gave them water for their thirst. Forty years you sustained them in the wilderness, and they lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out, and their feet did not swell. And you gave them kingdoms and peoples, and allotted to them every corner. So they took possession of the land of Sihon, king of Heshbon, and the land of Og, king of Bashan. You multiplied their children as the stars of heaven, and you brought them into the land that you had told their fathers to enter and possess. So the descendants went in and possessed the land, and you subdued before them the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, and gave them into their hand with their kings and their peoples of the land, that they might do for them as you would. And they captured fortified cities and a rich land, and took possession of houses full of all good things, cisterns already hewn, vineyards, olive orchards, and fruit trees in abundance. So they ate and were filled and became fat and delighted themselves in your great goodness. Nevertheless, they were disobedient and rebelled against you and cast your law behind their back and killed your prophets who had warned them in order to turn them back to you and they committed great blasphemies. Therefore, you gave them into the hand of their enemies who made them suffer. And in the time of their suffering, they cried out to you, and you heard them from heaven. And according to your great mercies, you gave them saviors who, who saved them from the hands of their enemies. But after they had rested, they did evil against you, and you abandoned them to the hand of their enemies so that they had domination over them. Yet when they turned and cried to you, you heard from heaven, and many times you delivered them according to your mercies. And you warned them in order to turn them back to your law. Yet they acted presumptuously and did not obey your commandments, but sinned against your rules, which if a person does them, he shall live by them. And they turned a stubborn shoulder and stiffened their neck and would not obey. Many years you bore with them and warned them by your spirit through your prophets. Yet they would not give ear. Therefore you have given them into the hands of the peoples of the lands. Nevertheless, in your great mercies, you do not make an end of them or forsake them. For you are a gracious and a merciful God. Now, therefore, our God, the great, the mighty, the awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love, let not all the hardship seem little to you that has come upon us, upon our kings, our princes, our priests, our prophets, our fathers, and all your people, since the time of the king of Assyria until this day. Yet you have been righteous in all that has come upon us, for you have dealt faithfully 
and we have acted wickedly. Our kings, our princes, our priests, and our fathers have not kept your law or paid attention to your commandments and your warnings that you gave them. Even in their own kingdom and amidst your great goodness that you gave them and in the large and rich land that you set before them, they did not serve you or turn from their wicked works. Behold, we are slaves this day in the land that you gave our fathers to enjoy its fruits and its good gifts. Behold, we are slaves. And its rich yield goes to the kings whom you have set over us because of our sins. They rule over our bodies and over our livestock as they please. And we are in great distress. Because of all this, we make a firm covenant in writing. On the sealed document are the names of our princes, our Levites, and our priests. Thanks, Josh. Uh, good effort. Uh, well done. It's always a lottery when you put your name on that Bible reading roster, uh, which one you are going to get. Uh, it'd be really good to keep your Bible open there at Nehemiah 8 and 9. Uh, that's what we're going to be focusing our attention on this morning. Uh, next Sunday, we start a new series. Uh, it's going to go for the whole of October. And really, it's our Reformation series, as many of you would have realized. Uh, this year is the 500th uh, anniversary of the Protestant Reformation uh, in 1517, and we, over the five weeks of October, are going to look at um, what are called the five solas, or the onlys, uh, of the Reformation. Uh, and so uh, I, and also then Philip Schiepers and Martin Williams will be uh, doing that series for October. So uh, we look forward to that. Uh, let's pray, shall we, before we get into uh, this passage today. <clears throat> Lord God, we want to thank you. Uh, today for your word. Uh, thank you that um, you speak to us and you lead us and you guide us um, through that word. Thank you that you remind us of your goodness and the work of Jesus uh, and also you show us how we live in response. And we, we pray, Lord, that you would do that again this morning uh, by your word and by your Holy Spirit uh, that we might increasingly live for you and for your glory. So we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, every now and then, as pastor, I have wondered what it would be like if our church, South Barwon, um, had a confession booth. Does anybody think that would be a good idea? I could sit there during the week, uh, it could be a wall between, and people, you, uh, could come in and list off your sins um, while I sit on the other side and play Candy Crush uh, on, on my phone or something. I think, I wonder... Would I be able to tell who it was by the voice on the other side? Would I know who it was? Or would I know who it was by the sins that you were confessing <laughs> who it was on the other side of that booth? Uh, how would you feel about that? Maybe not with me, uh, but to have somebody on the other side of a wall that you got to confess all of your sins to. How, how would that make you feel? Maybe... Would it be an easier way of going about it? Somebody on the other side who could listen to your whole list and then say, well, here's what you need to do next and you are forgiven and you can go in peace. Would that be a whole lot easier? Maybe I should put that up as a discussion paper for our next 
congregational meeting. We'll see where we go. Now, of course, you know that I jest a little bit here. Anything that a preacher says in his introduction cannot be held against him uh, in a court of law. Uh, we all, we're all aware of that. Uh, but today, uh, we do want to think about confession. Uh, what does it mean to confess our sins? Many of us, when we were taught to pray, we were taught the acronym ACTS. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication, ask, asking for things. But what does it mean to confess our sins? Why do we do it? How does it work? Do we really need to confess our sin when God has already forgiven us in Jesus? Is it actually important that we confess our sins before him? Now, to do that this morning, we want to have a look at this chapter, Nehemiah uh, 9, and a little bit of chapter 8 as well. That whole chapter is one big prayer of communal confession in Old Testament Israel. Now, just to give us a 30-second history lesson, the book of Nehemiah comes to us at one of the saddest, saddest points in Israel's history. <clears throat> you remember a little bit earlier, we had a look at um, the ministry uh, of Elisha. This comes uh, a couple of hundred years or a few hundred years after that. Uh, the southern kingdom, Israel, is, is all that is left, or Judah is all that's left. They've gone off into captivity, and they have slowly been making their way back to Jerusalem. It's been like a 90-year process. But they have come back with the promises of God ringing in their ears. Prophets like Ezekiel and Jeremiah and Isaiah were saying that when you come back, God will restore your fortunes. <clears throat> he will once again make you a great holy nation, the center of God's plans for this world. Well, they'd been coming back for 90 years, and this was not happening. They'd rebuilt the temple. Um, it was okay, it was good, but it, it was nowhere near as good as it was before. They had struggled in the midst of foreign nations. They were still paying money to foreign kings to protect them. And now here in chapter, at the end of, the start of chapter 8, uh, they have rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem. Now by the time they finish, it is the seventh month of the year. And the first day of the seventh month, according to Leviticus 23, was to be the day of trumpets. It's a day of celebration, a festival day. And so what happens is that all of Israel now gathers together, and we're just going to pick up the story at chapter 8, so just flick off the back on the page, chapter 8, verses 1 to 3. Let's see what happens. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it, facing the square before the water gate, from the early morning until midday, in the presence of the men and the women, and all those who could understand, and the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. So what is this book of the law? Well, it's the first five books of the Bible that we have, what is known as the Torah. So what are they reading? They are reading of the God who created everything. They are reading of the God who made a promise to Abraham, 
to rescue a people to be his very own. <clears throat> they are reading about uh, their time in Egypt and God rescuing them out of Egypt. And they're reading about the law and all the commandments that God had given them. They are reading that they have a great God who has rescued them and has given them commandments. Now, as they do that, two things happen. They haven't read this book for a long time, so, so let's remember that. Firstly, they realize that that very day, the first day of the seventh month, God had commanded that they were to have a festival day, the Feast of Trumpets, a day of getting together in people's homes, having good food and sweet drinks, sharing with those who had a need, and celebrating and remembering God's wonderful rescue for them. And they remember, they realize that they haven't done this for a very, very long time. The second thing that happens is that they begin to weep. Turn, turn over the Bible uh, to, verse, uh, to chapter 8 verses nine, from verse 9. Look what it says there. Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites, who taught the people, said to the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go on your way, eat the fat and drink sweet wine, and send portions to everyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our Lord, and do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And the people went on their way to eat and drink and to send portions and make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. Now, this is all leading up to this great prayer of confession in Nehemiah chapter 9. I want to notice two things uh, about confession that comes out of this. Firstly, is this. Uh, confession comes, uh, confession arises out of reading and understanding the Word of God. Confession happens when we read and we understand the Word of God. Now, why is that? Because the Word of God reminds us of who God is. His greatness, His power, His love, mercy, and compassion his desire for people, and it tells us how we are to live in response to the God who loves us and has rescued us. What happens as we read that word? Well, God, by his Holy Spirit, lays open our lives before him. He, he shows us the condition of our hearts in response to the great, merciful, rescuing God that we have. He convicts us of sin. He convicts us of guilt. He convicts us of wrongdoing. But it comes as the Word of God does its work in our hearts and in our lives. You see, firstly, firstly uh, confession, confession is not about uh, getting rid of some guilty feelings that we might have. Uh, you and I don't get to decide what we should feel guilty about and not guilty about. Uh, confession is not about showing God 
first and foremost, how sorry we are for our sin. Confession comes because God himself speaks to us in his word. And he reveals to us how good and gracious and kind he is. And he convicts us of the sin in our lives. And where we do not live up to what he requires of us. Second thing I want to notice from what we've had a look at so far about confession. Is that confession doesn't find its end in guilt and sorrow over sin. That's not the point of confession. Notice there that, 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 that little section that we read from where the Levites tell the people not to weep and mourn over their sin. Stands out as very unusual, doesn't it? You think, here we go, God's convicting them and they say, knock it off. Go home and celebrate and have a day of partying and invite people over, good food, sweet drinks, and, and celebrate together. Now, why, why, would, why would the Levites do that? Well, if they had have allowed the people to continue grieving and mourning and weeping over their sin, what would have happened? They would have disobeyed God's commandment for that very day. They would have, they would have actually broken what God wanted for them on that day. And it would have defeated the whole purpose of their confession because they would have had something else to confess, that they didn't do what God required of them on that day. They're going to come back to that later. But the point of confession is a transformed and a restored life. A life that conforms to the likeness of Jesus Christ. You see, confession is not an end in and of itself. It's not, okay, I've got that bit done with, now I can just carry on living as I want. Confession is a part of repentance. Turning from sin, away from sin, and turning to Christ and embracing the new life that we have in Jesus. Confession is just one part of that, leaving sin behind, confessing what we've done, and embracing Christ as Savior, confessing our need for Him, our need for forgiveness, and as Lord, it's expressing a need, a desire to live as God has commanded us to live. You see, see too, often, too often we view confession as either getting rid of guilty feelings or showing God how sorry we are for sin. Now, confession will bring, bring grief. And confession does express to God sorrow over our sin. But confession is not just getting rid of those guilty feelings. It's not twisting God's arm one more time to forgive us. Uh, confession is a part of embracing Christ as Savior and Lord more fully in our lives. So that we might live in thankfulness who might live in obedience to him. Well, we're going to pick the story up again now in uh, chapter 9. We finally get to our text. Um, it's all right. We've, we've covered the bulk of it, so it's all good. Uh, don't stress. Uh, we check up chapter 9, verse 1. Now, we are 23 days later at this point. 
So what has happened is they've had their celebration, uh, the celebration of the uh, Feast of Trumpets. They've also then celebrated the Feast of Booths. Uh, they've lived in these homemade tents as they remembered their rescue out of Egypt. And now in the 24th day of that month, they gather the people together again and they, they pick up on that grief from 23 days earlier. Reading chapter 9, verse 1. On the 24th day of the month, the people of Israel were assembled with fasting and in sackcloth and with earth on their heads. And the Israelites separated themselves from all the foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. And they stood up in their, pla- stood up in their place and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day. For another quarter of the day, they made confession and worshipped the Lord their God. What are they doing? Again, they are reading from the book of the law. Three hours worth of Bible. You thought this morning's Bible reading was a long one. They had a three-hour long Bible reading. They dress and they act in a way which is appropriate to their confession, to showing remorse over their sin. And then the, the priests and the Levites, they lead this prayer but it is a prayer which is being prayed by the whole nation. So like we, we would have a prayer here which somebody at the front might lead. It's a prayer on behalf of everybody that's going on there. Now, did you notice, did you notice as we're going through it, the to and fro theme throughout this prayer? There's, there's two main phrases that are used here. There's you referring to God, but they referring to the people's forefathers, and to themselves. Notice how those themes play out. But you, have a a look at some of the the times we read that there. Uh, Verse 6. You are the Lord and you alone. Uh, Verse 7. You are the Lord, the God who chose Abraham. Verse 8. You found his heart faithful. Verse 9. You saw the affliction from our fathers in Egypt and you heard their cry across the Red Sea. Uh, Verse 22. You gave them kingdoms and peoples allotted to them in every corner. And you could read a whole lot more of them. What, what is it? But you, you, you. What's it referring to? It is referring to God who is powerful, who is loving, who is faithful, and who is generous. They look back on their history and what do they see? They see nothing but a good Gracious, kind, merciful, loving, powerful God who rescued them, who again and again forgave them, who gave them them this wonderful land and things that they didn't work for, who was kind over and over again. (coughs) But notice the other part of that, the, 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 the other side of that. There's the you, but then we have but they, (coughs) excuse me, referring to the people and their forefathers. Have a look at verse 16. But they, (coughs) others acted presumptuously and stiffened their necks and did not obey your commandments. Verse 17, they refused to obey and were not mindful of the wonders that you performed among the peoples. Verse 26, uh, they were disobedient and rebelled against you. Uh, verse uh, 20, uh, what was the next one? Verse 29, 
but yet they acted presumptuously and did not obey your commandments. What's, what's the other part of this prayer? You, faithful, loving, kind, powerful, but they, they were rebellious, disobedient. They did their own thing. All right, notice two more things about uh, confession from here. Firstly, confession uh, is about admitting our guilt before a loving, faithful God. Sin is rebellion. Uh, sin is, is people saying to God, uh, thank you very much, but we will go our own way. We will do our own thing. Sin is not, oops, my bad. Uh, sin is not, oh, I wasn't aware that that was a commandment. Uh, sin is willful disobedience against God. And this, it's not like God is a tyrant or a big ogre in the sky who wants to boss us and bully us around. Sin is willful obedience to a God who is loving and kind and gracious and patient and who forgives us over and over again. We confess because we have turned our backs on a God who loves us deeply. And has rescued us, who sent his own son as a penalty for sin, who, who lived and who died in our place. We confess because when we sin, we are throwing that back to God and saying, I know what you've done for me, but I don't care. I'm going to do my own thing anyway. Second thing I want to notice. When we confess... Uh, we confess to a loving, faithful God who shows his mercy to us again and again and again. You notice that throughout, throughout that prayer? They rebelled. What did God do? They had a, they had a golden calf who they worshipped. And what did, what did God do? What did God do? You in your great mercies did not forsake them in the wilderness. They rebelled in the land. What did, what did God do? And according to your great mercy, you gave them saviors who saved them out of the hand of their enemies. They still rebelled. What did God do? Verse 31. Nevertheless, in your great mercy, you did not make an end of them or forsake them, for you are a gracious and a merciful God. Who do we confess our sin to? We confess our sin to a God of mercy, of gracious loving forgiveness who welcomes welcomes his children back with open arms now as a, as a father uh, I am uh, sometimes called upon uh, to tell my children off I know they seem like angels and they wouldn't need it but at home occasionally it happens um, telling children off is something that I I don't like I, I know that sometimes I do it with such passion and gusto it appeals like I love it um, but I actually, I, I, don't, I don't love it. 
Um, what I really like is, is after that, I, I love it when, when the kids come and they say, hey, we're sorry. And they give you a hug and uh, you know that it's all, all right again. And I, I, by a long shot, am a very imperfect and a very, a very uh, struggling father. But what about, what about a perfect, loving, heavenly father? What, what does he do when his children come to him and say, Father, we've sinned against you. Father, we've rebelled and we've done our own thing. What happens? He throws open his arms wide. And he welcomes back gently and lovingly his children. And again and again, he pours his mercy on us. And again and again, he chooses... He chooses the cross rather than punishing us for our sin. A couple of things I want to say. Uh, don't put off confession. Don't put it off. There is absolutely no need. Sometimes we feel, don't we? Oh, it's been so long whole long list God's probably not really going to be impressed with this uh, let, let me say this uh, God knows already not going to tell him anything new because if you really do that uh, he already knows don't, don't put it off uh, don't feel like you have to hide or minimize your sin Notice how brutally honest this prayer is. It can be brutally honest because God knows he's already forgiven us in Christ. We can tell him those darkest thoughts, those most horrible of moments, those things that we are absolutely ashamed of. There is no need to hide it. No need to minimize it. We confess. We confess not so that God will forgive us. We don't believe that until you confess, you're not forgiven. Um, we don't have the teaching that you need to die in a state of grace, that you need to confess all your sin before you die, just in case. Um, we, be we believe that in Jesus, our sin has been forgiven already, and we are, we are washed clean. And that before we confess, God views us as perfect children because he views us through Jesus. We confess, though, because we have turned our backs on our loving God and Savior. We confess because we want things to be right between us and God. We confess because we don't want that barrier of guilt. But we want to acknowledge, acknowledge our sinfulness. Acknowledge our need for Jesus. We can, we're confessing that we need his work in our lives. And we're 
confessing, praying that God would restore us and renew us into the likeness and the image of his son. We confess together as a church on a Sunday. It's an important part of our service. Uh, We confess individual and communal sin, like like they've done here in in Nehemiah 9. Uh, But don't let this be your only confession in a week. Make confession a part of reading and responding to the word of God. Have that word. Open up our lives. Lay it bare. Point us to God and his goodness. Point us to Jesus. Turn our hearts to him. Find a renewal and hope and joy in him and him alone. We're going to pray now. Uh, We're going to pray a prayer of confession. um, Communally. We're going to confess our sin as a church, uh, but also individually, and and we'll have some time in there where where you can pray quietly and on your own too. So let's pray. Oh Lord God, we thank you for your word this morning, and we thank you for this uh, reminder, uh, this teaching on the need to confess our sin before you. We thank you for this reminder that you are a loving and a faithful God to us. That you have shown us um, your goodness and your compassion in Jesus. You've rescued us from sin and from darkness. You've brought us into the kingdom of light, the kingdom of your Son. Lord God, you have been good to us as a church been faithful over and over again when we've struggled with sin and with selfishness when we've struggled with division uh, when we've struggled uh, with disobedience uh, lord god you have remained with us remained faithful and always provided lord god we confess our sin before you Uh, We confess that our hearts are too often cold to you, cold to your word, cold to your work. We confess, Lord God, that too often our motives are selfish. We do things as a church for us rather than for your glory and for the sake of your great name. We confess our half-heartedness when it comes to worship. We confess our lack of love for one another. We confess our inaction when it comes to sharing your love with the world around us. We confess our need for Jesus our need for his cleansing work, his renewing grace, and his sustaining power in our lives. And Lord, we take this moment to confess our own sin individually before you.
Lord God, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to stand and sing these two songs together.